0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's episode of the Big Footy Bombercast. And, jeez, the, the old saying is a week is a long time in football. And for Essendon fans everywhere, I don't think there's ever been a longer week other than perhaps the dark days of the saga. I am joined, as always, by the Grizz. And Grizz, do you think it's a fair call for me to say that this has been one of the longest weeks in football for an Essendon fan after the high of beating Hawthorne last week to the absolute low that we saw on Saturday night?
1: Yeah, well, it probably has been, and I imagine this week will feel a whole lot longer um, as we just sort of sit in it. <laughs> um, but um, now that you say that, is this sort of the lowest point since uh, a saga? It would be. It would have to be in the top five games that I would just sit there and go, "What are we doing since that point?" But yeah, it was um, no much to write home about, unfortunately, on the weekend.
0: Absolutely right. It's uh, look. The thing is, we've talked about it ad nauseum on this podcast time and time again, and we'll say it again. There was no defensive effort. There was no transitional defence. The tackling pressure was non-existent. The ball movement was pathetic. I... I still stand by a truck. I still say that the problem is not Ben Rutten. I know there's a lot of heat on him at the moment, but the reality is the players are pathetic and Ben Rutten is not telling them to go out and lay the second most, second least amount of tackles ever laid in an AFL game. Anybody who thinks that's his game plan, he has absolute rocks in their head. And yes, I understand that maybe the argument could be made he's lost the players and therefore he is the problem. But I don't agree with that because Essendon players do have a very long history ever since Kevin Sheedy left of the tail wagging the dog not the other way around at some point the club has to get the players to fall into line they have to back a coach in they didn't do it with Knights. hurd and thompson had their time Warsfold struggled to get the players now rutton at some point the club just has to draw a line and say you know what if the players have issues it's on the players to fix it themselves we're not going to keep sacking coaches
1: just to make them happy i'm in the same boat re really truck i think it's almost impossible to grade him um at the moment like you said, so this is the guy, right, that in engineered the defense that led Richmond to be arguably the best defensive team defensive team of the last 30 years in 2017 and 2018. Like, this guy knows what he's doing. And you can't tell me that between 2018 and now, he's lost all tactical nows in terms of teaching a team defense. Like, it just doesn't work. And the, and the basics of what his team defense is, which is pressuring, getting numbers to the ball, putting them under heat and winning it back and ramming it back down their throats. That's what, you know, team defense is based on. And we're just not doing any of that. And I think it goes to a bigger point of, I don't think we've defended well and consistently as a team since, what, 04, 05 maybe. And at what point, like since Sheedy, this would be what, coach seven? I mean, you got Knights, you got Herd, um, Thompson. Herd Bomber, back to Herd, Matthew Egan as a fill-in, John Wersfeld, and now Truck. What's this? coach six or seven since Sheedy yeah. and we're and, sitting and here throwing going, throw in Simon Goodwin as well. He did take us yep, that game. Of course. Oh, I'm not really taking it. Yeah. So caretakers. So I'm sitting there going, okay, so how many coaches can we run through before we look at the players and go, so how many coaches can you guys run through before you're the problem? That's where I'm at with it. I think, I, I think i said on this before, we've got a few hard years ago. I, I've looked at this list and I could probably come up, come up with, 17 or 18 players that I don't think will be on this list in 18 months' time. And that's not including guys who might request a trade or exercise free agency in the next two years as well. So I think provided Truck can get through the next two years, he'll have a much different list to look at that hopefully he can sort of develop from the ground up. But all that sort of you know, prognosticating forward, um, what we saw on the weekend was just sort of no lack of... like Team defense was bad, but the, the lack of any effort and intensity in the contest, which is what struck to me. Like Josh Kennedy's been playing on the halfback flank all year. We talked about it last week with Milky and he goes in and he looks like prime Chris Judd. It's just unbelievable the lack of, so he looks like prime Josh Kennedy and then, you know, Chad Warner looks like Chris Judd bursting out of the center and Luke Parker's making fun of our midfielders contested efforts. Like there was just no fight. There was no fight. Sydney, sort of ambushed us from the start. We just put the white flag up.
0: Yeah, I don't want to get too hung up um, hung up on this game because, as I said, there's only so many times that you and I can say the same things we've been saying week in, week out. But I will just quickly <laughs> I will just quickly say that I, I actually I, I know you've seen the Matthew Lloyd clip now. I'm not sure what your opinion is, it. I'll get your opinion on it. But I I actually tend to agree with him, and I'm not saying that our players should have gone out and thumped Luke Parker. And and I, and I actually don't think that's what Lloydie was saying either. I think Lloyd was just saying there was no opportunity tun- there to put Luke Parker on his on his ass as, as retribution for the way he disrespected the players. And nobody took... It's not even that nobody took the opportunity. Nobody even tried. You know, I mean, Merritt got laid out and nobody did anything. It took Joy Caldwell going back with the flight of the ball for the team to show any heart. And, and really, I mean, the bloke's only in his second year at the side. What, what is Darcy Parrish? What is Zach Merritt? What is Dylan Shield? You know, what are all these blokes actually doing out there? Because they're just... They're not showing any intent.
1: Yep. All of the above. I don't, (laughs) it depends on what you, what Matthew Lloyd, what you think Matthew Lloyd meant. If this is, you know, him in 2009 KOing Brad Saul, no, I don't think that's the answer. If this is, you know, if someone like, well, for starters, no one would have been brave enough to do that in 2000, 2002, because Dean Solomon, Damien Hardwick, or Dean Wallace would have knocked your teeth out if you had. But there's an element of, yeah, physical retribution, even if it's just, sort of tackling to the ground and you don't need to rubbing their head. in. Like there's just, you know, going to, I'm not going to win the football this time around, but I'm going to knock him off his feet. I'm not going to get him in the head. I'm not going to cost myself weeks, but I'm going to knock him off his feet and I'm going to let him know about it afterwards. And then the guy after me is going to do it. And for the next, I think that was halfway through the second quarter for the next two and a half quarters, every opportunity we get to put Luke Park on his ass, we're going to take it. And, And that's what was missing. And it, it, you know, I don't really agree with Mark Robinson all too often, but he made a really good point tonight in AFL 360 that it's just a really nice football club. There's no yeah. mongrel, there's no fight, there's no t- it's just a nice football club that has been nice since the saga because we don't want to upset anyone. And you know, we said we, we we're not going to stop we're going to stop placating to those players and we're going to move on, but we can't shake that part of us that just seems like we want to be inoffensive and. It's now seeped into our play and we're now seeing, you know, Dylan shield, who was, you know, a screaming jet coming out of the midfield at times for GWS, just be this meek sort of guy that laughs at Luke Parker questioning his manhood. like, I hope truck gets a chance to get through the next 18 months. Cause I think the list will be a lot different then. And hopefully we can recruit to a type, which is guys who are going to buy into that team defense and actually want to put some physical pressure on our position. So you do say you hope Truck gets
0: through the next 18 months. And I, and I certainly hope he gets through it and I hope he gets longer. But I, I, I've i seen this pattern before at Essendon. And you've seen this pattern before at Essendon. And yeah. the reality is, is, is if next year we don't show linear progression, Ben Rutten will be gone. It, it'll, he'll, yeah. it, they they will make him the scapegoat. He will be sacked. We will get a new coach, and the men in the background will continue doing what they have been doing for the last decade. Some of them for the last two decades. And I and I know I know um <laughs> my opinions on on Adrian Dodoro. I don't think anybody's in um. Any, I don't think any, I don't think anybody I don't think anybody uh, is is unaware of what my <laughs> thoughts on him are. So I'm not going to start this this segment off by talk by ranting about him because I want to ask your thoughts, Chris, Adrian Dodoro. How does he still have a job? How uh, actually, and,
1: and here's a better question for you
0: How the hell is he a life member?
1: He's probably a lot. I'll answer the second one first because it's probably easier. Tenure is probably why he's a life member, the amount of time he's been... now you can argue whether he should have had the amount of time he's had in there as part of his role of Um, but that will be why. How has he still got a job? Probably. I imagine a significant portion of the answer lies in sort of his relationship with the old Essendon in Coteries, in board members and old guys at the club who, you know, officially or unofficially have a lot of power that keep him in there. Um, I think performance wise, you know, he's sort of been a C minus over the course of his career and... C minus is a pass. You're not going anywhere, but you're a pass. And I I don't mean that in terms of pass or fail. But you know, if you get C minus on a test, you don't have to repeat it. But if you're getting C minuses for everything, then you're not really going to do anything of any consequence. And I feel like that's Essendon's last 15 years. C minus. But <laughs> I think that's why he he's picked enough good players for him to say, hey, see, you now I can pick good guys. But he hasn't been able to build any sort of. So my thing with Dodoro, is that he can pick talent. What he can't do is pick talent that A, works together, and B, that will stand up when the whips are cracking. There have been plenty of talented players that have come through and had really good individual years. What he hasn't been able to do, and I think this is a key, is he hasn't been able to build a list that as a whole 40-man unit has been able to develop into something which can sustain sustainably play contested defensive-minded football. It's all been front-running. It's all been sort of attack-first players that look good, have athletic traits, but haven't been drafted to a type like we see Hawthorne or Richmond drafted to a type and built a list out on it. It just seems like there's been no sort of coherent list strategy for the last 16 years. And that's on Dodoro, even to you know trading two first for doing shield, which at the time feels very good. But when you look at but back in hindsight, were we, were we ever that close? Probably not, not to give two first round picks for someone, you know, and what do we do with the rider picks? We, well, you know, <laughs> we traded for Adam Cooney <laughs> who was in the last sort of, you know, stages of rheumatoid arthritis. Like I, I, yeah, um, my, my take on to is he can pick talent, but he can't build a list and. He's gotten to this far. He's had tenure because of his relationships, not because of his performance.
0: And of course, our biggest problem is that one of his biggest fans we've we've since rehired and put back on the board in Kevin Sheedy. And and it's and I know right now there'll be people screaming at us that Dodora didn't want Dylan Sheil. He didn't want Sheil. He didn't do the deal. And and because I've heard all that, but the thing is, I've heard all that before about Adrian. And and, and I, I, I it's think, always someone else's fault, Exactly. It? exactly it, yeah. it, 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 when, when something goes wrong, it's never Adrian's fault. But when, you know, a, a, a kale Hooker or a Michael Hurley or, a, you know, even a Jack did. you know, when, when a player comes good, oh yeah, he picked him. But when they when they go bad, it's, ne- it's never his fault. He He's the ultimate Teflon man at Eston. And, and I cop a lot of flack because people go, well, you, you, you're talking with the benefit of hindsight. That's great. And I am absolutely talking with benefit hindsight. But you know what the problem is? It's not my job to be able to actually recruit these players. It's not my job to be able to to, to be able to put this list together. That's his job. So, okay, we, we can criticise him with the benefit hindsight and it might be a little bit unharsh. But at the end of the day, big deal. That's his job. His job is to build a list. And as you said, he just hasn't done it. He's picked a good player here or there. But, I, I mean, I actually still think, if you look at it right, our best midfield in the last, you know, Probably decade and a half is, is Joe Watson, and that wasn't a Dodoro pick because it was a father son, and, and we got lucky that Tim Watson told his son to pull his head out of his arse and if he wanted to make a football career, at best well, he sport- was drafted as a center forward, wasn't he? Well, well he wasn't, he,
1: a, he, he wasn't,
0: he, a, he wasn't even a midfielder. No, nah, he he was a, his first game, he was incredibly slow, and he didn't look like he was going to make it. And then I think Tim Watson said, "Go to a boxing class," and he got the shit balled out of him all preseason to get himself fit, and he became a star. If you look at our, our best forward for the last 20, apart from Matthew Lloyd and Scott Lucas, obviously, is... Father-son, Dan- yep. Joe Downer, father-son. So again, you know, no real skill pick there. But like, I mean, Zach Merritt, great pick. Zach Merritt, sensational pick, absolutely. But... You know, Michael Hurley, again, good pick, but we picked him as a forward and he had issues
1: with his wrists and he was never able to become a forward. So, so you know, Ka- I mean... Oh, uh, was he Kale- a forward? Or, he was a centre-half back in under-18. So but he was the Australian we, centre-half back, wasn't he?
0: But we picked him to play centre-half forward at the time and then he played those first few games against... Yeah,
1: like, sure. That
0: game against Hawthorne. Like, good maybe- pick, but I understand what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. yeah, that's fine. Yeah, you, you know, Cale Hooker's another one. He was a great player, Cale Hooker. But, yeah, it's just it's a player in isolation. And, and that's the problem. You nailed it perfectly. He's very good at picking individual talented players, and, and he has, and you can't deny that he hasn't. But he's never been able to put the pieces around these players. And if you throw enough darts at the dartboard, eventually you're going to hit a bullseye. And, and that's what I'm putting most of these good selections and down to is that, you know, Adrian's had plenty of cracks at it. I'm sure he's bound to pick a few good ones here or there, but the majority of his picks... Have not been AFL quality. And I just, it just staggers me that A, he's allowed to stay at the club, B, he's, you know, we promoted him, and C, we made a bloke who hasn't done his job properly for 20 years a life member. I get the tenure thing, but it is just a little bit of a joke, isn't it, that somebody can fail at their job for 20 years and the club rewards them?
1: Yeah. So I think. The really successful clubs, when you look at what they, the teams that go on to win, you know, clumps of premierships. And if you look at the last sort of 20 years, the majority of premierships have been won in clumps by different teams, you know, whether it be Brisbane or or Richmond or Hawthorne. Um, But what they do is they seem to nail entire drafts. So they'll go through a draft and they'll pick three or four guys and then they'll pick three or four guys in like really good players in three or five drafts in a row. Right, so all of a sudden you've got this big nucleus of nine or ten guys who are all developing together, all drafted to a type, who all you know are sort of developing together. Whereas if you look at our list, it's sort of guy we get maybe one, one maybe two good players per draft, and it's just no way to sustainably do it. And I think we've never fully bottomed out, um, which doesn't help either, except for probably now. But the thing for me is, you know, I know there are a couple people saying, "Well, if it wasn't for Asada, well, Asada happened." So put throw that away. So was our list in 2012 to 14 a, a potentially contending list? We'll never know. And, and to be honest, I think we're one or two good players away from that anyway. To be honest, so I think in terms of the promotion, it, it's interesting now. I know Law, one of the other mods on the on the board, has pointed out that he's been promoted, but. Now Robert Forster Knight's doing the drafting, and you know Robert and um, Marnie's doing Josh Marnie's doing more of the sort of trade nuts and bolts, and Adrian's doing more of the sort of in-person sort of networking stuff. That's all fine, but at the end of the day, they can have defined roles. But when push comes to shove, and who has to make a decision, and Dodora's in the room, we know who's going to be deferred to. So I'm not totally interested in hearing. You know the delineation of roles in this one. I think there's so much blame for the last 15 years to pass around that you can't put it fully on Dodoro, but he can't get off scot-free. And there would be more than enough of that blame to go towards him and his recruiting staff over time. And with the Zach Merit thing, that was a move Keane t- pick anyway, wasn't it? Move Keane told didn't to pick it. Um, Dodoro wanted Billy Hartung, but that's a completely different sort of story, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I look, I, I give him the merit pick because if we're gonna, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna slam him. For his misses, I can't very well turn around. That's sort of the opposite of what I'm saying that his supporters doing. That every time something goes wrong, it's someone else's fault. But every time something goes right, it's his. And the thing is, you're right in that it's not all on him. And I'm not for a second saying that, you know, if he hadn't been there, we would have been a successful club because Asada happened and it had nothing to do with him. And that is not his fault at all. And I appreciate that. And you appreciate that. But as you said, Asada did happen. We did lose the picks, you know, but. We didn't really lose a great deal in the list. Well, 2016 was a disaster, obviously, because of what happened. But we still managed to retain most of the band players when they came back. Okay, yeah, some of them were old. But that, that 20, oh, I'm with you. I don't think that was ever going to win a flag. That might have won a couple of finals, but it wasn't going to win a flag. And that's what his job is. His job is to build a flag list, not a list that gets us into the eight. And it's just, it's just infuriating to me that, that he's still doing it. But yeah. My, I mean- my,
1: my hot take... Is that we went the wrong direction when we re signed all those players? So I think we should, we, I think we re signed nine of the 10 of them that wanted, that were available to come back. I think we should have probably re signed two or three and let the rest go. I think I would have signed Hurley because he was an Australian centre halfback and you can never, you know, <laughs> you don't give up all Australian centre halfbacks at the time. I would have brought back Joe because he was captain. I would have brought Hep because he was captain and waiting. And then the rest of them, I would have just about gone, you know what? We just need a clean break and we need to hit the draft for a few. We needed to reset 2016, 2017, 2018. Because if we'd done that, we would have been competing now. Heppel and Hurley would have been, you know, early 30s. Merritt and Parrish would be, you know, so, you know, the sort of senior members of that core. I think we missed a trick. They're so desperate to get back to relevancy so quickly after Asada that we missed a trick there, and we actually had the perfect inbuilt excuse to bottom out, which we hadn't done at that point since the early nineties, um, and we still haven't done until now.
0: Uh, I don't know if I say it sincerely. But I mean, we did bottom out no six in shitty. Oh,
1: but seven, not but- not by design. Not, I'm talking about after 17 onwards. So instead of signing all nine of those guys again back in 2017, I would have maybe re-signed those three and then moved on. Because remember, Ryder had already gone, um, Hibbard, Melksham, all those guys had already gone.
0: No, well, Hibbard was the was was the ninth, it was the It 10th. He was the 10th that didn't sign.
1: Yeah, but we traded him, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, yeah, but, so we, was, only tra- but- we, well, we, we tried to get him to come back. And and actually, I'd add him as one of the players we should have tried to get to come back because I, he had the hardness and the leadership in the back line that I think we still sorely missed down there.
1: Oh, here nor there, but I think we're both in yeah. agreement agree to um, If Dodoro was to move on, um, neither of us would be shedding a tear. Um, but <laughs> no, um, and, I'll, and I'll just and I and I will just
0: say I, I do agree with you that I think we missed the trick. I, I understand why we took the players back. I think we sort of had to as an obligation, but I, I do think we were chasing that success that we thought we should have got with that group. And, and as you and I have both said, I don't think we actually ever were in line for that group. But let's move on from Adrian because. Um, I could spend a lot more time um, ranting about and probably unfairly too. look and I, I get that. I'm am just putting it out there. I know I'm one of his biggest, biggest detractors. So, you know, it's, it's hard for me to, to say positive things about him. And so people probably do get sick of me talking about him. Um, I, I just find it baffling that we've tried so many different medical staff, coaches, you know, everything. And yet he's just stayed at the club. Yeah. But, you do wanna you do wanna raise a, a new topic tonight, Grizz. And we are sort of not touching on the current and Football Club uh, uh, with this one because <laughs> it's a little bit depressing and our and our poor old listeners are probably sick of hearing us talk about them.
1: Yeah, so I thought to break up the podcast for the next few weeks, we should do a, a, what's called a sliding door segment. Now, when I say sliding doors, I don't mean a Damien Barrett if then, which isn't even sliding doors, it's just sort of random statements. He, put in a, uh, an article cause he can't be bothered writing out in paragraph. But I thought, I thought essential will take sort of critical junctures of the last 15 to 20 years of essence history and ask the question, what if this one event different happened? So, you know, to put the Marvel thing, if you know, that piece of the timeline hadn't occurred, how it did, what would change? And so the question I want to ask you today is what happened if Matthew Lloyd doesn't tear his hamstring in round three, 2006. So for the record, so the reason I want to talk about this is, so in round three, 2006, Matthew Lloyd had kicked 12 goals in just over two and a half games. He was in rich form. He was in line for roughly 88 to 96 goals in the season. Would have been, you know, he would have been clearly got to a thousand by the end of his career, but instead he tears his hamstring uh, we get a couple of other injuries and all of a sudden, um, instead of being sort of mid-table-ish, we end up at the bottom of the ladder. And, you know, Kevin Sheedy all of a sudden is under a ton of pressure. Do you, do you remember that season at all, Bonts?
0: I do, um, for a number of reasons. The first one, it was the first time that I think I sort of realised that uh, Essendon weren't just going to stay up because of, because they were Essendon. I, I think it's yep. sort of the realisation <laughs> that Hawthorne fans are probably having at the moment that they're not just going to stay up um, because they're Hawthorne. Uh, so it, it was probably, I mean, two thousand and five. You know, we went eight and twelve, and it wasn't great. But there was still always that 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 feeling in two thousand and five that we'd um we'd be yeah. okay. You know, we were just having a yeah. we'll have down year, we'd reset, we'd get some players, and we'd come back. And then two thousand and six, when you know we beat Sydney round one, um, we were up at about I think Lui even might have had his career high possessions in that game. I'm not I, from memory. Here. He kicked,
1: he kicked six goals in the first quarter against Sydney in round one. But it was just unbelievable. And that's against Leo Barry, who was an Australian fullback at the time.
0: Yeah, and I think he actually might have even led the disposals that night because it it wasn't just his goal kicking. I still remember they were talking about, you know, because it was his first year as captain. Um, Yeah, that's right. And and it wasn't, you know, he he wasn't just kicking goals. He was doing doing it all, basically. And we we beat Sydney, who, of course, were the reigning premiers. And we beat them relatively comfortably. You know, it it was a bit... It was about five goals in the end. Um, yeah, yeah. And and they never really headed us. So it was sort of like, well, is are we back? Have we spent our one year in the mid part of the bottom eight? And are we just going to fire back? And then obviously, yeah, Lloydie, I still remember my old man wasn't actually at home at the time, and and I and I rang him to tell him that Lloyd had gone off with a hamstring. And he, I remember him saying to me, just I hope it's only a couple of weeks because we really need him. And then of course, you know, we uh, we unfortunately. He tore the bone and that was it.
1: Yeah, so it was a super rare hamstring injury where he died from a mark, got a bit of a shove and tore the tendon off the bone. Now, why this I find interesting, um, Bonta, is I'm a very weird person. I've run all these hypotheticals through my head. The previous season, as you said, we went, I think it was eight and 14. The following season, 2007, we went 10 and 12. So let's just imagine, for example, Matthew Lloyd doesn't do his hamstring in 2006. He goes on, he kicks on, he goals, but we're not that great a team and we win 10 games. Do you know where 10 wins would put us on the ladder that season? It would put us 10th on the ladder or good enough for pick seven in the <laughs> National Draft. <laughs> Who goes at pick seven in the nas- 2006 National Draft? Bonta.
0: Oh Mate, I know this one because I was screaming for us to take him at pick two. This was big. Big footy was still at his infancy in those days. And I was screaming for us to take him at pick at pick two. Him, 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 sorry, him being? Him being Joel Selwood. And the reason why yes. is... Um, I, I, I'd seen Joel play as junior, and he and I knew that he'd been the underage captain when Mark Murphy and and the and the like went to Ireland. So Mark Murphy obviously went pick one in two thousand and five. He went to Ireland as deputy to Joel Salwood. That's how good Joel. Yep. was. So as an underage, uh, he led the Australian side. So yeah, yeah, and it must I must just quickly also point out that Kevin Sheedy has said that if they hadn't changed the priority pick those that, that rules that year, and we had got picks two and four. Mm. we
1: would have taken Gumbleton and Sellwood. Sellwood was number two on Sheedy's hit list. Well, there you go. So instead of um, Joel Selwood at pick two, we pick a man by the name of Scott Gumbleton. Now, if Jade is listening, Jade is probably having heart palpitations at the sound of this man's name, but Scott Gumbleton, as we know, a very talented young footballer from Peel Thunder um, who just could never get his body right. We wasted, not wasted, his heart. We spent what? I think it was seven years, nine, seven, eight, nine years yes. trying to get this man's body right and just never got it. Meanwhile, and so since we had Scott Gumbleton by the way, he and um, Jane Agle, who, you know, another sliding doors for another day, I'm sure, were meant to be our key pillars going forward with the, you know, retirement of, of Scott Lucas and eventually Matthew Lloyd, but obviously both for different reasons, Gumbleton because of his body um, involuntarily and, and Agle, with his body somewhat voluntarily, never quite made it. Meanwhile, Joel Selwood is running around for Geelong, basically the next captain waiting, winning premierships and changing their culture single-handedly. Could you imagine what he would have done for that midfield at the time, which was a little bit waning, that probably needed some new blood. Joel Selwood in there with, you know, it would have been Spike McVeigh, Brent Stanton, those sorts of guys at the time. It just would have been a sight to behold, wouldn't it?
0: It absolutely would have, and... <laughs> Yeah, it probably would have. It, it probably would have changed the the future for for Kevin Sheedy because it probably would have been enough for us to win a few more games in two thousand and seven, and it probably would have been enough for us to win to make finals. Which, and I say that saves Sheedy, knowing full well that in two thousand and seven, when Sheedy was sacked, we were actually in the eight at the time, um, and the board yep. decided to let him go. And then, of course, when they decided to let him go. The, the arse dropped out of the season. I still think that's one of the, the dumbest decisions we've ever done as a football club, apart from a you take that out. But to sack a coach while we're sitting in the eight, mm-hmm. the, the coach who's been there for, I think it'd be 27 years at that stage. That was just pure madness by the board. But um, yeah. yeah, it is a real sliding doors
1: moment, that one for for Lloydy. Yeah, so like, if he doesn't, so we, we get picked seven, we dress. If we win two more games in 2007, we make the finals. Eight spot was the Crows. He played Hawthorne. Now, we would have played, you know, Hawthorne probably at the MCG. That's the game that um, Buddy, Buddy kicked, kicked, after the kicked eight against Adelaide, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry, it wasn't after the siren. It was with a couple of minutes to go. He kicked that. Yeah. goal got the boundary to... line at um, Marvel. Yeah. But, like, it, I just think about, you know, if... If we have Joel Selwood, so we talk about this leadership vacuum that we have at the moment. You don't get that with Joel Selwood, and you know who knows? You know, is Kevin? She- if we don't, if Kevin is not in trouble in 2007, we don't we don't sack him. We don't get Matthew Knights right? If Matthew Knight isn't under immediate pressure, we don't get hurt. And then it's like, it fundamentally changes what the last 15 years looks like for the Eston football club. So I'm not saying if Matthew doesn't tear his hamstring, but if you, if you follow that links, those chain links along the line, I sit there and go, you know, if Lloyd doesn't get his hand, tear his hamstring, you know, we get pick seven and pick Selwood instead because Gumbleton's probably gone by that point. You know, she doesn't get sacked. Maybe we're a bit better as a team. Selwood changes our culture. It just, it's a completely, he wouldn't change it single-handedly as a 19 year old, but with guys like Hurd and Fletcher and McVay still around the club, it wouldn't have soured the way it did. I reckon is that is that fair to say? Do you reckon?
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. That's a fair point to raise. I, I think the other thing to remember about um, that is it's 2007. So yeah, we play Hawthorne at the Gene Elimination Final. I, I, they probably do touch us up because they had given us a bath a couple of times earlier yeah. in that in that year. So so we're not saying that they, obviously we win the flag and then, or anything like that. But they probably don't have that same close you know, buddy moment where buddy becomes buddy because that the pressure's not there. So he, he, pressure makes diamonds. And I think the pressure in that game really turned buddy into the star. He was now, he still would have been a very good player because he's just athletically unbelievable, but you know, maybe 2008 doesn't turn out for buddy the way it does. Cause he doesn't go into the, into the game yeah. as chock full of confidence because he hasn't just basically won a final off his own boot. The other thing to keep in mind is, as I was just saying, Lloy in 2006 in that game against sydney was doing what what is affectionately known as the retro role for a key position forward on the wing for, for large parts of that game after dominating the first quarter yeah. forward he he rips his hamstring off the bone he he can't he can't move as well as he was if, if you watch the uh the 2009 Anzac day game and you watch after um after zarax kicks that goal and Lloydie's running down the other end for four he looks shot. He's not yeah. moving well. So even if Sheedy does go, and even if Knights does get hired, there's also that very real chance that his aversion to playing the Richo role because he has admitted that was his problem. Knights put him put Nagle, Jay Nagel at full forward, and Lloyd knew he couldn't play up the ground yep. anymore. He knew that was a bad idea, and that's why he quit because he knew his body couldn't do it. But If he doesn't tear his hamstring off the bone, and his body can do it, then... Does that, that, that changes things too, doesn't it? Because all of a sudden, yeah. the, the Richo role A would be done by Lloyd. He's probably not the same vein as when Richo did it, but he's still able to contribute. He's still able to go up the ground. And all of a sudden, you don't have this big gap between Knights and the senior players because Knights hasn't essentially ended the career of one of the greatest full forwards
1: to ever play for Essendon. Yeah. And the other thing to note is, like Lloyd retired at like 30, 31. Yeah, um, Absolutely. And so he retired really early. If he doesn't tear his hamstring tendon off the bone, is he like he he might have? You know, in 2006, he would have been, he would have been 28. Like he might have three, four years left of his prime. Like he might be at 1,100 goals at this point. That makes sense. So if you take you, you put 70 on for the rest of 2006 season, he's at a thousand. If he's not, you know not washed up that's probably too hard but if you're not a a relative show of himself in you know seven eight nine maybe he kicks you know uh, way more goals and you know remember we've drafted Joel Selwood we haven't drafted Scott Gumbleton so he may not be asked to play that wing role because we're not trying to force Scott Gumbleton to be our full forward so that's the other thing to realize as well like we're looking at this going there's just so you know if we have a a relatively in his prime Matthew Lloyd for another couple of years, another couple of years have been dwindling We're we're up to 2012 now. And then, so, you know, maybe that 2012 run of a flag does happen. But, and that's where I just like chatting about this is like, there's these moments in history that sort of seem innocuous, but then when you look at it and go, well, how much could it have changed? You know, it's rather quite interesting and fun to play. It is, but that will do us for tonight,
0: Chris. So thank you once again for joining
1: No worries. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's a shame about the lads, but it's good to talk about something else.
0: Exactly right. So uh, thank you once again for listening, everybody. And as always, please like, subscribe, and comment on the podcast on the various socials.